1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Alternative rock band Vertical Horizon plays Wolf Trap next week on August 19th. I spoke with frontman Matt Scannell about forming the band with Keith Kane at Georgetown University and their rise to stardom with hits like Everything You Want and You're
0: a God. Matt Scannell from Vertical Horizon. Hello, Jason. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely, it's going to be nice to be back in the old stomping grounds. I went to school at Georgetown, so it's uh, always fun to come back to that that area. Um, we can get
1: to that in a second, but I uh, I like to go chronologically if we can. Like, what, so remind us where you grew up before you came down to DC. You know, you came to Georgetown for college, but you grew up yeah. um, in, in New England, right?
0: Yeah, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, in the middle of the state, and uh, yeah, you know, went to school. I went to high school out there uh, in Western Massachusetts and um, eventually made my way down to, to Georgetown, and then, you know, played have been playing music ever since.
1: <laughs> now, what did you study anything music related to Georgetown, or were you on a different path before you met Keith Kane?
0: Yeah, so I, I was actually um, sort of prepping for plan B, to be honest with you. I was majoring, majoring in psychology, and I had a minor in English. Um, I studied some uh, music history at school, but it wasn't like I was studying to be a performer per se academically um and i kind of uh you know both keith and i kind of gave ourselves a year uh after we graduated to give the music thing a try and we were frankly expecting for it to fail miserably and um then we would go on to plan b um but that never happened fortunately and um you know, now so you know, so many years later, I'm still doing it.
1: So when you're at Georgetown, do you remember the day you and Keith met? I know sometimes it's like a blur, and you can't remember when you actually met people.
0: <laughs> but- oh yeah, no, I remember specifically. Yeah, we were at a party, um, and then there was a sort of circle of people that just sort of gathered around who knew how to play guitar, and someone had a guitar. I think it may have been Keith's guitar, actually and people were just sort of passing it around and, and playing a song and uh keith played a song and i just absolutely loved his voice and uh you know the spirit with which he played and then um you know the guitar sort of made its made its way around uh the circle and and i played uh I'm a huge Michael Hedges fan. And, and for people who don't know who Michael Hedges is, he you know, unfortunately has passed away, but he sort of reinvented the acoustic guitar. sort of what what is possible with the acoustic guitar? So there are a few records, one's called Live from the Double Planet that I would really, really highly recommend. There's a, you know many others watching my life go by and Breakfast in the Field. But um, uh, he, he does on that live record, he does a version of All Along the Watchtower um, by Bob Dylan, and I, so I retuned the guitar and 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 played my version of Michael's version of All Along the Watchtower, and it was really fun. And and right right after that, Keith, uh, you know, said, "Hey, do you want to jam sometime?" And Keith had a weekly gig at a at a bar in Georgetown, so I sat in with him, and we just had a lot of fun, and we were kind of off to the races. Do you remember what the bar in Georgetown was? Um, I should. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it was, uh, yeah, no, I don't right now, <laughs> unfortunately. Right.
1: Well, do you remember what spots, you know, maybe locally that that you might've played in that once you formed the band, you know? Do yeah, you- yeah.
0: Well, we played at the Bayou quite a bit. Um, we played at the Tombs with some regularity, uh, actually in Georgetown. There was a place, a barbecue place on the hill called Heads and uh, we would do a weekly gig there. And it was very kind of them. We, you know, at that time, of course, We were really making no money whatsoever. So they would always feed us. Uh, basically everything we could sort of uh, eat and carry home with us uh, that night. So so heads basically fed us throughout that time. Um, yeah, we just, and we played, we played all over the place. And DC, you know, one of the things that was amazing about DC, of course, is that this was in, in a pre internet time um, and tape trading was kind of the thing. And there were so many students who would be coming in for a summer internship and then heading back to college in the fall. And we would be playing shows throughout the area during the summer months, um, and so people would hear us and make recordings of us, and then bring those tapes with them back to college, wherever they were in Seattle, St. Louis, etc. So we had this very organic thing where people would tra- you know, uh, make copies of those tapes, and all of a sudden we'd get a call from a fraternity or sorority or a, a venue in St. Louis and say, "Hey, we'd love to have you come and play." And it was a direct. Uh, uh, You know, um, it it was directly in relation to the fact that that there were so many summer interns uh, in in the D.C. area. It was really great.
1: Wow. Old school marketing, baby. Very, very. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I want to get into you know the the rest of the music, but real fast, one final piece on Georgetown. Two final pieces on Georgetown. Did yeah. you did you guys ever climb the those Exorcist steps?
0: Oh, sure, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, th- those are not for the faint-hearted, for sure.
1: It's steep, man. That's
0: yeah, a real deal, yeah. Yeah, totally. Being, and doing it in the middle of the night adds a sort of terror component as well. So
1: for sure. And I think you mentioned <laughs> you when you mentioned the tombs, I thought of that because I believe it's right up there by the the house up there. Yeah, it is.
0: It's right around the corner. Yeah.
1: But um, and then uh what was the oh uh Georgetown Hoyas basketball. I mean the 80s were the huge John Thompson, Patrick Ewing, and then Allen Iverson. Like if yep. you're there like late 80s, early 90s, I mean, was that just a crazy Hoyas uh fever?
0: Yeah, it was really it was incredible. You know, it was um, it was a lot of fun to watch them play and, and, you know, very often watch them win. It was kind of a drag because we didn't very often get to go see games on campus. They were um, I think they were out. I don't know whatever the big the the enormous dome basketball stadium uh was so it wasn't as easy to just you know walk walk around on campus like my, my brother went to duke and so the you know the duke team would play on campus in this really small and kind of amazingly old school uh you know basketball arena place um so we didn't see them in, at least i didn't see them in person quite as much as i saw them on tv but you know you'd see them walking around and these are incredibly talented athletes and. You know, I had a lot of respect for what they could do, sure.
1: For sure. All right. Well then, so after the Georgetown days, you got, you know, you formed the band, you've been doing the tape trading. (laughs) So a bunch of college students know you, but um, the two of you guys, you relocate up to Boston back sort of near where you grew up back up in Massachusetts. But Mm -hmm. um, didn't you put together a debut album there and back again? How much of a learning experience was that? Because I know that wasn't like a a major label release. We'll get to that in a sec, but like, did any lumps you took for that or or surprisingly, you know, you look back at it finally, or tell me about that first one.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the good news is I look back at it fondly in as much as I can look back at, say, like a, an old photograph of myself in high school, um, you know, with a questionable hairstyle and questionable teeth and maybe some acne. It's the same kind of thing where you're like, oh, isn't, isn't, isn't that sweet? Um, but, but, but we, you know, we learned how to use a recording studio making that record, and it was a, a real um, learning process for us and it and it made uh, a huge difference for us you know with our future to be able to um, you know continue to be engineers and producers of our own music um, and that was a, a a really great, great experience. But you know, on there and back again, you hear us literally learning how to use a recording studio. The big Kahuna,
1: we all know everything you want. that came out in ninety nine. That was like your major label debut. but how did you guys actually officially get signed for that?
0: Well, you know it was it was a an interesting thing because the a lot of the major labels were passing on us, even though we had sold quite a few records independently. Um, and we were, you know trying to, get to that next level. Of course, at the time, it was crucial for bands to get to a major label for them to get that kind of reach that they, um, you know, that that's a system, you know, as sort of slightly old school now as it as it is. Um, but at the time it was really a, a necessary step if you wanted to to raise your profile. Um, And so what we wound up doing, we were frustrated uh, that we weren't getting sort of naturally just welcomed into the fold of the major label system. And so we made a live record down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at a place called Ziggy's. We recorded over two nights um, and the record was called Live Stages. And the Live Stages record begins with about a minute of just, you know, voracious uh, applause from the audience and we did that purposely um once we once we made that record we sent it off to all the anr people who had passed on us and 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 at around the same time i believe we had crossed the uh, seventy thousand units uh sales mark in the sound scan um network and so uh those two things kind of perked up people's ears literally, you know, they were almost, I could almost imagine them listening to that live stages record and going, how, can, how are they doing this without us? Um, and that's when a couple of the uh, labels uh, really came to the table and then ultimately sort of started kind of fighting over us and we decided to go with RCA and, um, you know, then out of that relationship uh, came the Everything You Want record, which, you know, clearly changed our lives and my life certainly forever
1: changed all of ours man it's like the soundtrack to my life and a lot of people's (laughs) as well so oh that's nice of you let's go go into some of the songs everything you want um i always thought it was kind of cool how you're it's sort of like third person you know he's everything you want and then by the end it's i am everything you want how did that (laughs) how'd you come up with that
0: yeah well you know i I wrote it um it's a it's a it's a song that was sort of written out of out of sheer frustration you know i wasn't I was in love with someone who sort of just thought of me as a friend and it's a very classic, classic story um, where, you know, that I just kept seeing her turn to people who were bad for her, um, people who treated her, you know, unkindly and and, uh, without much respect and then she'd sort of come back and cry on my shoulder. And of course, I, I just, I just wanted her to be better and to feel better and I felt like I could be the man who could do that for her, but she just didn't see it that way. And so, yeah, when I wrote that song, it was, um, you know, the, 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 the third-person choruses all sort of refer to her, her choices, the people that, that she's been with who ultimately didn't work out uh, for her. And, and then, yeah, the last chorus changes to first person it, out of that sheer frustration. Um, and and I, always, I always loved that shift I think that, that you know, on some levels, that is the, um, the, 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 the thing about that song that sort of makes it click and really resonate uh, with so many people. And I'm, I'm just thrilled with that. You know, I, I, it's such an honor and a privilege.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it was a really cool way to, to write that one. So props. But, um, and then, of course, the album also had You're a God. Um, I feel like I should pause after saying You're a... I need to, like, say it <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: properly.
1: <laughs> it felt weird to say it fast. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the correct title of the song is You're uh... God, that's yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Take me into the creation of your God. Well,
0: so that one, you know, very oftentimes people have asked me over the years if that song has anything to do with religion, and and I I I sometimes get a little bit frustrated because it's really just a metaphor, you know. It's um, uh, has nothing whatsoever to do with religion. Um, I had put someone in my life in a position of power. Uh, I had given them the. Uh, ability to sort of make decisions for me or influence my ability to make decisions in in a way uh, that they didn't deserve and i was really frustrated with myself for enabling this dynamic Um, and i didn't really know how to get out of it but but then it became it was this moment of clarity where i sort of realized well if i gave them the power i could just as easily just take it away and so that's what I did. I, um, I I I wrote that song, and that was the sort of de facto line in the sand for me with that relationship. And it never, I once I once that song was in my life, um, that dynamic changed forever and completely. And it was it was really nice. I think sometimes you know I view songs as I write songs very often. Um, as a means to make myself feel better. It's a very uh, selfish pursuit, honestly. Um, It's a pure pursuit. I'm not trying to do something that will make someone else necessarily feel a certain way. I generally just want to write about my own feelings and try to make myself feel better. Um, And Yorah God is a perfect example of that. I turn to music to try to make my life better. And make myself, uh, you know, raise, lift myself up, and not be at the mercy of someone who who didn't deserve the the role that I had given them. And so, yeah, that's where your uh, god came from. <laughs>
1: Never again is what you're saying. Nice yes
0: that's exactly right
1: exactly well thanks for explaining that and i know yeah has nothing nothing to actually do with religion but you know every time they do a bruce almighty that royalty check's got to be pretty oh yeah man
0: (laughs) that was so cool what a great experience that was i remember going to the theater and just hearing it, and the song just keeps playing it keeps going and going and going i remember thinking wow this is the longest musical cue in the in the movie i'm not sure that it is but but for for me it was just a thrill an absolute thrill it was fun
1: yeah, you're tied to Jim Carrey forever. I um, love it. <laughs> uh, well, and I also have to ask you. Gosh, we could go forever about this one album, but best I ever had, man. That yeah. that is just a it's a heart tugger. Um, tell me uh, the creation of that one.
0: Well, that one was tough. Um, you know, the, I think sometimes relationships um, can be like these beautiful supernovas that kind of flash. Into existence and then almost just as quickly fade away, and I I think there are times when you're in one of those relationships and having those experiences where you almost know like this is too good to last. This is this is um, this is not going to be something that we can hold on to for whatever reason, and that's exactly what happened to me um, uh, and the woman for whom I wrote best I ever had. Um, and uh, we just sort of um, held on to it for as long as we could do so, and then it just kind of faded away. And she went on her path, and I kind of went on mine. Um, but I realized I, I needed to, uh, I need to, needed to kind of immortalize her the way I saw her, um, and she's pretty spectacular. So uh, yeah, that's that's where best I ever had came from.
1: Yeah. And it was a really good uh, I thought Gary Allen crushed it for the country cover of it, too. Right from the yeah, right from the beginning yeah. of the, you know, so you nailed away. I'm like, oh, he's going to crush this.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he did a, a fantastic job. And and uh, of course, his covering of that song was a, a, a very, very bittersweet uh, thing with the passing of his wife. So I, I was um, I was truly honored to uh, have been sort of to have written the, the vessel you know, with which he could sort of um, serve to, um, you know, do some of his mourning for his his wife. I it's, it's amazing to me that songs can mean one thing at a certain time to one person, and then something completely different to someone else in another set of circumstances. And that's one of the reasons that, that music is so powerful. It's so beautiful. And it doesn't come with a uh you know uh, uh, an instruction manual or, or a decoder ring it's 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 what it, it, it you know it is what it means to you and, and that's just as valid as uh, uh you know as what it means to me and and there's a real beauty there and that and that experience for me with Gary just really underscored that whole side of the beauty of music
1: well you can Come see the beauty of music at Wolf Trap <laughs> <laughs> on nice. um, Thursday, August 19th, Vertical Horizon, sharing a bill with trains. So two big bands we all know and love um, again on the 19th. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. I've admired your music for a while and it's really cool getting to catch up with you, Matt.
0: Oh, Jason, thanks for taking the time and thanks for asking, you know, meaningful and insightful questions. And, and thank you for, for, you know, following along and on the journey of the band. It means a lot to me that, that our music has meant something to you. Thank you. All
1: right, now go take care of the dog. (laughs) See you, buddy. All right, later, man. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.